Good morning, good morning. Sorry, just needed a little bit of tech support. Good morning, real life youth. If you haven't already worked out from the swarm that was over there, you have a snack box, real life youth. You have a little note, bit of paper and a pen or a pencil. So real life youth, I do not expect to see anyone who's in their 30s or 40s or 50s pretending that they're a teenager and going and helping themselves to Twix, okay? Not even with your hood pulled up and your zipper up high, I will call you out, okay? And remind people just how old you are. So welcome this morning. Um, I'm assuming we're recording. Lovely. My name is Melanie, if we have not met yet already. I'm one of the leaders here in Real Life Church, married to Stuart, and together we love and lead you beautiful lots. I'm a mummy to Levi and Asher, and my job, I, I work for Real Life Church. I look after the young um, and what we do in the community, and now I help look after a staff team and a leadership team, which is an absolute pleasure. So um, this morning, I want to ask a question, which is very simply, what will be your legacy? Oh, there we are, as if by magic. Please don't expect a PowerPoint presentation. That slide will remain up there for the entire time. So I, I like to think that I am the visual aid, okay? So all eyes on me, please. So what will be your legacy? In our house, um, if you talk about football in our house, we're talking about American football. And in our house, that is apparently what real football is. It is American football. And the Patriots rule. So in our house, the Patriots rule. Obviously, Jesus rules first. Don't come and see me at the end and say, actually, I think you'll find Melanie that Phil spoke to us last week. And actually, Jesus is the focus and the set. I know that. Jesus rules closely followed by the Patriots. And for quite a while, both our boys thought that the team was called Patriots Rule because whenever Daddy said Patriots, he always said, yeah, Patriots Rule. So in our house, the Patriots Rule. And I have been to see some American football matches. Um, and I said to Stuart the other day, um, when we first got together, Stuart educated me on American football. And then we went to see our first match in London and we saw, I think we saw the Dolphins v. the Giants. We did, yeah. And Stuart, we sat down in a coffee shop and Stuart, I was like asking him all these questions. I was like, I'm sorry, I just don't understand. Could you explain it again? So he, he asked for a napkin from the waitress and it is this napkin and a pen and he drew out the game for me and wrote down the different plays and I've kept the napkin ever since and every so often I just get it out and smile. I still don't understand, to be honest. Um, he has bought me books. We, I have got several books at home, um, but I do love the game. And American football is often referred to as the ultimate team sport, probably because when they travel, there's so many of them. Like It's like an incredible team, and there's such a breadth of skill that's required to be able to play the game. But with all ball sports, it isn't just about me 
holding the ball and playing my part. It matters who I pass it on to, and it matters what they do with it. So I can have a great play, and I can do a great run, and I can travel with the ball, and I can get it to where it needs to go. But if I don't pass it on to someone who lands it in the end zone, did you see what I did there? Yes. Could you please clap me, Stuart? Just, you know, thank you. If you don't get it in the end zone, there are no points. If we don't get it in the goal, if we don't get in the basket, if we don't get it in, there are no points, there are no winners. So it matters who we pass on to. I've been reading the Fillmore book on one and two kings, and I've just finished it. And in the last few chapters, he talks a lot about legacy and who we're passing on to. And he, it took me a few times of reading a couple of these quotes to really get my head around it. He said, success without a successor equals failure. It took me quite a few times to read it and wrestle with it and think, that's right, success without a successor. And in one and two kings, you see this kind of mixed bag of like, Kings that pass on well and kings that just don't. And success without a successor is failure. He also talked about discipling your legacy. So actually training, actually giving time to people, actually investing in people. And it it really stirred my heart and really made me feel like this is something I just want to speak into. And I want to tap a few things and I want to go, come on, church. We, we, success without a successor is failure, and we need to disciple our legacy. I do believe God is going to tap a few things. So when our boys were little, one of the phrases they, they often said was, I do it. I do it myself. And if we're not careful, as disciples, we can have that attitude. And I put myself in it as well, that we can have the attitude of, I do it, I do it myself. So actually, I'm good at it. If I ask someone else to do it, they're probably going to do it worse than me. And and I run the risk of it not being done well or not being done to my standard if I hand it out, if I pass it on, if I give it away. I feel like God's going to tap that. So there are some of you here that are highly capable people and really good at doing what you do. What you are not so good at is passing it on. What you don't, when when you look around you, you don't see loads of people that do what you do. You just do what you do. And I feel like God wants to tap that and go, come on. I know in my own life, God has to tap that regularly. He has to say, come on, Crane. That's what God, you know, when God's talking to me, that's what he calls me. Come on, Crane. We can give these things away. We can pass them on. And they might not be done exactly like you would do it, but they will be done. So I believe God wants to tap that. Um, I believe that he wants to just remind us that if we die and we don't pass on what we've got within us, it dies with us. So your legacy then amounts to not very much. If you die with all the things that you're good at, all the things that you've stored up, all the treasure, and you don't pass it on, it dies with you. I believe he wants to get into workplaces. So some of you are in workplaces where you're climbing the ladder and you're succeeding and you're doing really well. But what is your legacy there? What are you passing on? Who's coming up behind you and going to overtake you? And that's maybe not the push of your workplace, but it is the push of the kingdom. 
It is what we're supposed to be like wherever we are. And I believe God wants to get into some workplaces and just help you see how you can train others, help others, give others a hand up, really create a legacy. I believe that God wants to stir you if you are a parent of one of the young people sitting in here today. I believe God just wants to stir you. And remind you that when we're discipling, when we're training, when we're bringing through legacies, you've got some gorgeous ones in your homes. And they might, you know, at times make your blood boil and at times delight your heart and almost do that within the same minute and moment. But they are part of what it means to bring through disciples. When we talk about bringing in the lost, and I sometimes have to remind us that, that we have loads of kids and loads of young people that sit amongst us every week who don't know Jesus yet for themselves or maybe haven't got cultivated their own like reading their Bibles, praying. And one of the best ways we can disciple is look after the young train them, bring them through. It's one of the ways that they, we will live and we will carry on as the people of God. And I do believe that God wants to tap a little bit of pride because we do need to learn from one another. We do need to be trained. And I tell you, that takes a little bit of humility because some of the training is going to be done by people who are younger than you. Some of the young people are going to train you in what it means to hunger for the supernatural because they hunger for it more than you do. And that's humbling. Sometimes God brings people in, he saves them, and then he grows them really quickly. And in God, they've got something to bring, even though you've been walking with God for 50 years. They've got something fresh and new and exciting that God's doing that you need to be around, learn from. And, and you have to be humble to do that. I think like when I became a mummy, one of the things that God spoke to me about was actually how much, hum how much more humble I was going to need to become, how I was going to need to lay my life down over and over again, how I was going to need to seemingly fail at stuff in order to succeed, how I was going to have some days where I felt like I achieved nothing, how it was going to actually deal with some of the pride in my heart. And I needed to surrender again. It was a new season and God was like, we're, we're going to surrender again. We're going to go. I tell Levi all the time, like he's an 11-year-old now. I've never parented an 11-year-old. I've never parented a teenager. These are all things that I'm having to learn and grow and glean from other people. It takes humility to actually say, I, I don't have, I've done youth work for years, that's not the same as parenting my own teenager. That looks completely different and I need to learn and grow and be humble. So I've got three questions this morning. If you take notes, you can jot down these three questions. I've cheated because two of my questions are actually about 20 questions. Um, but you, you'll get the general gist of it. So what will be your legacy? That's my first question. If you don't remember anything today, just remember that. What will be my legacy? And a legacy, quite simply, is something that you have that you part with or you pay forward or you give on to the next generation or the next ones coming through. It's what you part with or pay forward. That's my first question. What will be your legacy? My second question is, what will you handle? What will you hold? What will you hone? So to hone, do you like all the H's there? 
Stuart, when Stuart had a little look at my notes, he was like, yes, look at that. You're like a real preacher if you can manage to make all your points begin with the same letter, by the way. It's nothing to do with spiritual gifts. It's can you make them. So H, can you, what will you handle? What will you hold? What will you hone? To hone means just to craft something or uh, to get skilled at it or master something. So what will you handle? What will you hold? What will you hone? And that applies to everybody sitting in the room. What are the things that you have that you handle that are part of you, that God has given you, that you have around you? And then thirdly, what will you part with? So what will you pass on? What will you pay forward? What will you give away? That doesn't begin with P, does it? So kind of that. What will you part with? What will you pass on or what will you pay forward? Jesus said this, just in case you were worried that I wasn't going to open my Bible. Jesus said this, Matthew 28, 19 to 20. So you can turn there if you'd like to or bring it up on your phone. If you don't own a Bible and you'd like a hand with getting a Bible, I would buy you a Bible. I think it is by far the greatest book you will ever own. And even on days when you find it dry or boring, it is good for you. So it's kind of like you eat your veg, don't you? Because there are days when you love what's served up and days when you just know this is good for me and I need to get it in me whether or not I particularly want it. I know this book will be good for you. So if you don't own a Bible and you want one, or if you are battling with a translation that you cannot read and you cannot connect with God on, come and speak to me and I will sort that out for you with love from Real Life Church. We will make sure you've got a Bible that you can read so that it will delight your heart and feed your soul and teach you about Jesus, but also on days where it is purely a discipline and you read it because you must. We will get a translation in your hand that works for you. So turn to Matthew 28, 19 to 20. It says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all that I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even till the end of the age. And I want to pull out two phrases from that, which is make disciples and teach disciples. So make disciples, teach disciples. I love the line at the end where Jesus says, and surely I'm with you. He's such a good friend. If you don't know Jesus as your friend yet, and we talk about him being our savior, being our king, being our Lord, he is all of those things. But let me tell you, he is such a good friend. So he is always with us. I never get to be alone. And not in the kind of way, you know, when you try and lock the bathroom door because you're like, I just want to be alone. It's not like that. It's you are literally never on your own. Your heart, your soul, your inner man, your innermost being, you are never alone once you say yes to Jesus. He's a good friend because he goes with you everywhere. So he goes with you into places that you find tricky and challenging. So you might be at school and there are things that you find tricky and challenging. You might be at work and there are things you find tricky and challenging. He's there. You might be right down in the depth of your emotional pain and despair. He's there. 
You might be high as a kite, loving life, enjoying every moment. He's also there. He's such a good friend that he goes with us wherever we go. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. When you end your life and you go to meet your maker, he'll say, welcome friend, I know you well. And you will come straight in. He's a brilliant friend. He's not fickle, doesn't change his mind about you. You don't wake up in the morning and he thinks to himself, oh man, Look, I'm not liking you today. You don't arrive at places and make mistakes. And he goes, no, I've got no time for you. He is such a good friend. And when we're building, making disciples, when we're going after legacy, he is right there with us in the mix. He's right there with us, cheering us on, giving us all we need. He is such a good friend. And what we're trying to do when we make disciples is we're trying to invite people into a relationship where they can get to know that person as their friend. So we first, in legacy making, so what, what, what will be your legacy? I'm hoping by the end of the morning what you come to the conclusion is my legacy must be making disciples because it will be, at the end of your life, the only thing that matters. It won't really be if you've made a property portfolio or if you've made a great big house for yourself or if you've made a massive amount of wealth. Literally, the only thing that will matter when you get to the end of your life will be the disciples that you have helped make and train is that you yourself are are a disciple and that you've made disciples. I find the language interesting because Jesus doesn't ask us in our world to go and help people pray a prayer, to make a commitment. He doesn't say, therefore, go and make commitment makers or prayer prayers. What he actually says is go and make disciples, which is a long-term commitment It isn't enough, so Claire became a Christian on our Alpha. It isn't enough that we, the three, myself, Sarah, and B, pray a prayer with her. That is nowhere near enough. Because God hasn't asked that we as new believers pray a prayer. He's asked for us to become disciples. What that means is we have to help one another read our Bibles, connect with God, be filled with the Spirit. We have to be in it when it's going really well and, oh my gosh, I love Jesus and everything is amazing. And then my life falls apart and I am in the pit and I have to find Jesus there. We have to be in every season, training one another, helping one another. Because Jesus didn't ask us to go and make people who make commitments. He said, go and make disciples. When we get to the end of the Bible, what we find is God looking out over a people. He's looking out. He's not looking out over properties. He's not even looking out over a land. He's looking out over a sea of people. He's looking out over worshippers. He's looking out over those who've had their robes dipped in the blood. So they're those who've been truly, thoroughly saved by God. He's looking out for those. And what he's asking of us is that we become those and we make those. Not that we make a name for ourselves, but that we make a name for him that we make disciples. 
I need to handle the stuff that Jesus has done in my life. I need to take hold of the stuff that Jesus has done in my life. And I need to hone it. I need to work it. I need to master it, craft it, and then I need to pass it on. In one way, I think it's really simple. What is, you know, the purpose of life? What am I here on earth to do? It's that. I'm here on earth to become one who loves God with my whole heart and pass that on. Everything that he's done in my life. So what will be your legacy? I'm hoping your legacy when you get to the end of your life will be a life spent loving him, surrounded by people who've been impacted by that, changed by that, and are also there worshipping and loving him. What we're looking for is a multitude of people that love him. What we say in this place is in real life, we're in this for real people becoming Christians, being changed by a real encounter with God and meeting him in their real everyday lives. We're in this for the long haul. Like Stuart and I intend to be here building and making disciples for as long as Jesus allows us to. We intend to be around to see people read their Bibles, get to know Jesus, be filled with the Spirit, find their gifting, be in their workplaces, being influential, be in church, be in the community, being influential. And we've all got a job to do in that respect. So what will you handle? What will you hold and what will you hone? Let me suggest the things that you have experienced in Jesus are things that you are supposed to craft, take hold of, and make the most of. So if you are someone who has seen healing in your own life or you've prayed for others for healing, you are supposed to master that. You're supposed to take hold of that. You're supposed to craft it, and you are supposed to do it all the more. If you are someone who hears from God... You are supposed to take hold of that. You're supposed to hone that. You're supposed to craft that. And you are ultimately supposed to pass that on. So I was talking this morning to Anna, who um, is in the youth. And I was saying to her a couple of weeks ago, I was out in youth. And she, there was something, as we were in the group, where she had got a hold of what it meant to hear God and encourage other people. And so I said to her, you need to now find some people who can help you grow in that. So you could see it, this little ember where you think, oh, there's something there, I like that. I like that because it's one of my things. And I think, oh, there's something there. Now you need to master that. You need to shape it. You need to get a hold of it and go, okay, what do I do with that now? How do I learn from? And it's fortunate for Anna because the youth team leader has a beautiful prophetic gift, hugely prophetic. It's not me, by the way, when I say this, it's um, Gemma. Um, and here's God very accurately, really powerfully so actually, what needs to happen in that environment is Gemma needs to carry on working on this gift, honing it, shaping it, growing in it, but she needs to go, come on, you come now and I'll train you, I'll help you, I'll encourage you in it. 
and grow someone else up in it. So what do you have in Jesus? And maybe you want to just jot down a couple of things. These are the things that God has done in my life. These are the things that I have, that I hold, that I, that, that I, I, I can pass on, that I can develop in my own walk with God. And even if you're young, what do you have already? What have you noticed? What do you think, oh, there's something going on there. Maybe you have a hunger for the poor and justice. Maybe you have a hunger for community or getting out there on the streets. Maybe you love praying for the sick. Maybe in your own story, God saved you when you were five. There's something about our salvation story. When you're saved at a certain age group, there's something about it that God puts a, a hunger, a passion, a heart. There's something there. Maybe you love a bit of alpha and sharing your story and you need to just kind of stir that up. Whatever the things are that God has done in your heart and your life that you need to stir up, that you need to handle, you need to hold, you need to sit with, you know, I, I would suggest give time to it. Find some people who are a bit further on than you. Look around and go, well, they move in that. He moves in that. She moves in that. I love that. There's something in my heart hungers for that. So you might think, well, I hunger for the kingdom. Who hungers for it more than I do? Who could I get around? Who could I stand next to? Who could, I, who could help me handle this gift? Prophecy is a brilliant one. So if you, I'm totally biased because it's my favorite gift in my mix. But it's, it's a gift that, that you hear from God and you can pass stuff on. And you think, well, well who's, who's doing it better than I am? Who's going deeper? Who's going further? Who can I rub shoulders with? Who can I get alongside and say, I want some of that? Do you dream? Is there someone who's dreaming more than you are? Someone who's, who's cultivating that in their own lives? Could they help you? Could you humble yourself and say, I'd like some help in that area. Can you serve me? Can you help me? Just rubbing shoulders, getting to know gifting, keeping an eye on your life group, looking around going, who moves in what? How could they help me? Or how could I help them? When you notice an em a real ember where you think, oh, there's something lovely there. So I, I always have a little like beacon for the the prophetic. So um, that youth morning, there were a couple of young people who I was like, oh, there it is, there it is. To be honest, all I'm going to do is tell Gemma she can do that. But it'll be like, come on, come on. Because I tell you what, when Gemma was a young woman, I noticed it in her. And so I was like, come on, come on. And that's a lot of what we can do is just the stuff that God has put in us, we look around and notice it around us and go, come on, come and spend some time with me. Let's, let's see what we can do with that. Are you good at reading your Bible? Do you know what it is to get into the Word of God, to daily read it, to, to be disciplined about it, but also have great joy in it? I absolutely love helping people learn to read their Bible because what you open up is this book where people can meet God. Oh, it's like the best to sit around a table with a couple of women on a Wednesday night and have a cup of tea and open our Bibles and wrestle over it and work out how to read it and what to do with it. Oh, so precious. Because I know that's something in my own life that I've honed. I love the Word of God. I love meeting with Jesus in it. And even on the dry and boring days, I still love it. 
is good for me, it's good for my soul. And so reading it, getting into it, helping others do that is such a delight. And once they're up on their feet, reading it, doing it, I'm hoping they are going to do exactly the same and they're going to grab some other people. So maybe you're in youth and you think, well, I don't know how to read my Bible. Okay, let's find you some people that do know how to read it and let's, let's master it, let's work it out. Maybe you're a grown-up and you're in a life group and you've kept a bit silent about it, but actually you didn't know how to read your Bible. Well, let's find some people. And once you know how to do it, pass it on. If your legacy was having a whole group of people that knew how to meet God in the Word of God, that would be awesome. If you got to the end of your life and 20 people knew how to read their Bible and meet with God, and they each passed that on to 20 people, I mean, like that, that would be an amazing legacy. It would be one that would delight the heart of God and would fill the new heaven and the new earth with worshippers. It would be amazing. So what will you handle? What will you hold? Do you know what it is to get to God on forgiveness? Do you know how to put yourself right with God? Are those things that, because of your story, you've really mastered that? Could you pass it on? Could you show others how to do it? Could you teach? Could you train? Could you keep practicing it here, but could you pass it on over there? And sometimes these things are not the mega massive things. They're not like, you know, I I know how to lay hands on the sick and see, you know, tumors pop out of people. Sometimes they are. I know what it means to be hurt and disappointed, get to God on it, work through it and come out the other side. I know how to forgive someone who's wronged me, who's not actually sorry and know how to get to God on that. And that's a powerful thing in someone's life if they're stuck there. And maybe you could pass that on. Maybe you could pay that forward. So what will you handle? What will you hone? What will you hold? It requires you to know yourself a little bit, to look inside your own heart and go, what am I good at? You don't need to have false humility. You're made by a creator God who is absolutely awesome. Why would he not place awesome things in his kids? Like he is outstanding. Why would he not do things in our lives that are also outstanding? So we don't need to be, we don't need false humility. Don't need to be bowing down low and saying, well, actually I'm rubbish, I've got nothing to give, it's all God. What we need to do is recognize the things that God has placed in us and work them, shape them, handle them, hold them, get used to them, get comfortable with them, and then work out how we pass them on. So what will you part with? What will you pass on and what will you pay forward? I would suggest everything you have. I would suggest your money, your talents, your time, Everything you have, you should give away and you should watch God give it back. What I'm not suggesting is you go home, sell your house and just give it all away. Unless God speaks to you about that. I'm not suggesting that. What I'm not suggesting is that you will start derobing and giving away all your clothes to the poor. Well, I'm, well, I'm not, but if God speaks to you about that, please feel free to go home and do that and then come back. But what I'm saying is everything you have belongs to God anyway. So when he asks for a tithe from you and it's 10%, it's like crazy generous of him to let you keep the 90. Because it's all his anyway. 
Everything we have belongs to him. Every gift, every talent, every everything, every treasure. Yeah, I think it's that thing. I'm going to try and just... There. Everything we have belongs to him. And so to give it, pass it on, pay it forward is a pleasure because it's all his anyway. So I would look at what you have that you can pass on. And I made a very quick list of some of the things. So I look after a prayer group in the deanery. So the school that one of my boys is a part of, I look after a prayer group there. It's a beautiful group of men and women that pray into that school, bless that school, look after that school. I'm going to pass that on. I'm going to make sure that when my boy leaves in year six, that someone else takes that forward. So take a look at what you, I already, they'll all start shifting uncomfortably because some of them say, I already know who I want to pass it on to. I already know who I'd love to take it forward. And they've got kids that are way younger than mine. And they're going to be in the school for years. And I'm hoping when I pass it on to them, they're going to pass it on to someone else. But I'm not just going to pass on a thing. I'm going to pass on something of my heart. So one of the things I love to do in the school is totally bless the socks off the teachers and the TAs and the dinner staff. Anyone who works in the school, I think they do an outstanding job, teachers. Can I say, if you are a teacher a TA, you work in a school, you give yourself on behalf of the young, I think you are outstanding. I think giving your time to the young is time so well spent. And I think teachers, TAs, staff in schools, volunteer workers, dinner staff, literally I, I could rave about them on and on and on and on and on. And so I do all I can to bless them. I'm going to pass that on. I want to make sure that someone else takes that on and passes it on because it's something in my life that God has spoken to me about and given me that I want to make sure I pass on. I make brownies. I make good brownies. It would be an absolute tragedy for the world if I didn't teach my boys how to make those and make them one day for their wives, their kids, and, and literally pass that on. And maybe there are things that you make that you think, I, I know how to do this. I want to make sure that it doesn't die with me. It's not enough that I make good brownies. I want, I want that to keep going. I want that to be something that, that, that carries on. So it might be things like that where you think, well, I, I like make things. I, there's things in me that I do that I want to pass on. Now, you might make them better than the person you're teaching them to, but if you die and no one else knows how to make them. They die with you. So I would suggest we get comfortable with sometimes seeing it not made exactly how I would make it, exactly how I would do it. And I know God wants to tap that. I know he wants to poke that and go, come on, church. We need to pass on stuff even if it's not done in the way that we would do it. We need to pass it on anyway. I love to read my Bible and pray. It's been one of the things that has sustained me. And I sometimes feel like, um, not, a, not a fraud, that's the wrong word, but I, I think if I don't cling on to God, if I don't, who I am in the natural is, is 
is okay. Who I am in God is something completely different. If I don't cling on to him, if I'm not found in his word, if I'm not praying, if I'm not, what I'm passing on to the young people, to everybody else is, is, is just not as good. And I think part of me reads my Bible because I know that, because I understand that who I am without God isn't good enough for the men and women around me. It, that like what I have to bring in and of myself isn't enough. And, and you have to hit that place, I think, with the Bible of knowing that if I don't read this, if I don't soak myself in this, if I'm not found in this, what I'm handing on to the people around me is, is worse. It, it should be better. And so I hang on to my Bible because I, I just think the people around me deserve a better version of me. They deserve the one where God is at the center, not me. They deserve the one where I've got my heart and my head right with him. My kids deserve that. They deserve the version of me that is right with God and is found in God and, and is focused on God. The people I lead deserve that. They deserve the version of me that is found in him. And so I read my Bible because I think I drown without it. And what I hand out to the people around me isn't as good. And I want to hand out treasure to the people around me. And, and I, I don't find that in myself. I find that in him. I find that in the word. And so I love that. So passing that on for me is a, I want to do that. I've, I've taught loads of people to read their Bibles. I want to keep doing that. So if you're someone who knows how to read your Bible, grab some people and teach them how to do it. If you're someone who struggles to read your Bible, grab some people who know how to do it and say, teach me. It's an essential skill for the Christian. It's, it's the one thing that will hold you through everything. Young men and women, can I suggest to you that you don't leave real life youth not knowing how to read your Bibles. So you say to Gemma, you say to the rest of your youth leaders and youth team, you're not allowed to let me go to uni, let me go into work, let me go to college until I know how to read my Bible and meet God in it. So don't leave youth work until you know how to do that. You're not allowed to be 50 and still in the youth work, all right? Young men and women, learn how to read your Bibles. It will sustain you and keep you through everything. Okay, I'm going to land the plane now. I love to hear God. I love kids and youth work. I write things. I feel strongly about stuff. I feel strongly about Halloween. So I jot stuff down and pass it on. I feel strongly about uh, the occult and not dabbling in that. I feel strongly about that. And so I write things down, teach into it, talk about it, pass it on. I feel strongly about sex and relationships. So when it comes to educating our boys, we've, we've written some really good stuff that we've talked them through on and helped them. And I've passed that on to people because I want, I want to get that stuff out there. I want to make sure that we're training and teaching the young well. And so you, you might have stuff that you think, I feel strongly about this. You might want to write things down and start getting it out there. Start saying to people, I want you to hear, I want you to know, I want you to understand. These things that God has done in my life, I want to pass on. I hunger for the kingdom to come. 
And I know that's something in my own life, when I was newly saved, I felt God speak to me about walking around in a place of revival and seeing God breaking out. I, I literally don't let go of that. I, I hold on to that sense of God coming in ways that, that, that will just totally transform this nation. And I, and I hunger for that. I want for that. And hopefully some of the people around me also hunger for that because they, they listen in and go, oh, I love the sound of that. I want that too. Because you connect up with hearts. I want to encourage you to be men and women that pass on that which God has done in your life to others making sure that they know, that they hear, that they see, making sure the things that you handle, you hold, that, that you are releasing out, you are letting go of. Ultimately, we serve a saviour who gave everything for all of us. He literally held nothing back. So on the cross, he gave up everything so that you and I could be right with him. His legacy exists in, in this world and in the world to come. It's men and women whose lives have been thoroughly changed by an encounter with him and then trained to be like him on the earth. It's amazing, the legacy of Jesus, and it lives in our hearts and lives, providing we pass it on, otherwise it dies with us. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and join me. And I would love to pray for us. I would love you to go away this morning and go home and consider what is my legacy? What will I handle? What will I hold? What will I hone? What will I pass on? What will I part with? What will I pay forward? The answer should really be disciple making. And what will I handle, what will I hold, what will I hone should be everything that God has given you and done in your life. What will you pass on? Everything, everything that God has done, everything he's given you, everything he's taught you, pass it on, bring through, make disciples so that in the new heaven and the new earth, we are full of men and women that love him, honor him and worship him. Amen. Amen.